Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim, and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. This week, we look back on cartoons that focuses on the relationships between children and animals as we talk Watch My Chops, The Legend of White Fang, and the anime classic Dog of Flanders. These cartoons may have fallen under the radar for many, but I promise you they did not disappoint, and I for one cannot wait to talk about them. So, let's get started. And joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm alright, thanks. Do you uh, share my uh, sentiments as far as uh, falling under the radar? Yeah, apart from what, for me, Watch My Chops didn't fall under the radar for me because I watched it. But the other two, one of them was quite understated even in its approach was like The Dog of Flanders was very like, like very nicely paced, should we put it that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I'm going to say is I'm eternally grateful to the guy that did English subtitles. Oh, was that one one guy that did it? I don't know if it's one guy that did it, but obviously we had the link and it had English subtitles and it would have been a damn shame if we couldn't have watched it because obviously it's in a, a completely different language. And all I'm going to say is we need to do more anime. Anime's great. I think we need to have an anime month now do you reckon we gotta find some space it's too good for us to just do it once in a blue moon we should do pokemon as well pokemon we've done what sailor moon and that was amazing we did uh michiko and hatchin which i really really liked yeah i can't remember any others that we've done and i think both of i think sailor moon is one of the, the greatest cartoons ever in my opinion of all time i think it's up there and so it's like we need to find some time in the month. I think what what is it? We February is Black History Month. October is Black History Month. Women's History Month. The October is Black History Month. We got schools in September. So there's what four months? Yeah, eight months. We've got to figure out somewhere in the middle. We we gotta we gotta make it a uh, an anime month. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll figure that out at a later date but uh yeah let's get started we're going to start with dog of flanders and we're going to do the uh, the anime which came out in january 1975 and some of the things happening in the world john n mitchell hr haldman and john alrickman are found guilty of the watergate cover-up obviously if you don't know what the Watergate scandal was, I believe it was when um, Richard Nixon and a bunch of Republicans broke into uh, Watergate Hotel. And I think that was where, uh, I don't know if the Democratic National Convention was being held there or if Democrats had some like files or something important. But yeah, they broke in and they tried to they tried to do some stuff. And then Forrest Gump shopped them in. Yes, yes. How it was always intended to be in history. Immaculata University defeats the University of Maryland 80-48 in the first nationally televised women's basketball game in the United States. Jazz pianist Keith Jarrett plays the solo improvisation The The Cologne Concert at the Cologne Opera, which recorded live becomes the best-selling piano recording in history. Rollerball was in the cinemas. And appropriately named song January by Pilot was number one in the charts. Dog of Flanders now. 
or as it was known in Japanese, Furan Dasu no Inu. Obviously, if I said it wrong, then I uh, wholeheartedly apologize. Yeah, it was a Japanese animated TV series adaptation of Weeder's 1872 novel of the same name. It was produced by Nippon Animation and a film version was released in 1997. It represents the bond between a boy and his ever so faithful dog living in 19th century Belgium. The emotional story shows the boy's struggle in life as his grandfather dies and leaves him with his dog. And it shows how the hope of becoming a great classical painter has seemingly been crushed by his grandfather's passing and the way that he takes after that tragedy. And like I said, yeah, it was um, a novel written by English author Marie-Louise de la Ramy or de la Ram, published with her pseudonym, Wida. And yeah, it's uh, just about a Flemish boy named Nello and his dog at Patrash, and it's set in Antwerp. The animators conducted extensive research on 19th century Flanders, although it has had to be said that a lot of features of the series are not Flemish, but typically Dutch. The girl's hat and the tulips, for example. The buildings depicted in the series were modelled after the Boykerit Open Air Museum, although there have been some changes from the original story by Marie-Louise de la Ram. It has been faithful in keeping the storyline accurate. And in Belgium, the story is more obscure. Only in 1987 did it receive a Dutch translation. And this happened after the tale was adapted into a story of the popular comic book series Suske and Whisk. Since then, monuments were raised to uh, commemorate Nello and Patrash. And in Japan, Korea and the Philippines, the novel has been extremely popular children's classic for decades. And like I said, it's been adopted into several Japanese films and anime. And since the 1980s, the Belgian Board of Tourism caught onto the phenomenon and built two monuments honoring the story to please East Asian tourists. And the first one was built in 1985 and can be seen at the Kappelstraat in Hoboken, Antwerp. And up until the end of 2016, a fictional gravestone stood near the Antwerp Cathedral. It had text in English and Japanese that read Nello and his dog Patrash. Main characters from the story A Dog of Flanders, symbols true and sternful friendship, loyalty and devotion. And the sculpture is made by Belgian artist Baptiste Vermoulen. Right, Dog of Flanders. Or Foran Dasu no Inu. It's interesting you said about it having like kind of Dutch feel to it because windmills, clogs. I mean, these are all things I associate with Holland rather than Belgium. It was like a really slow paced one. I watched two episodes of this and none of them had a dog in it. Well, well one of them had a dog in it, but the, the dog wasn't a big part of it. Well, the dog came later on because obviously it was building up to the moment where he rescues the dog. Yeah, because you see the dog, right? You see the dog with that nasty man. But I thought it was a really nicely paced show. So I was like kind of... You know, sometimes taking notes with this sort of thing whilst you're watching along is quite difficult. You pause it and try and catch up with yourself and things like that. So, but this time, I was just like typing away, like dig 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 dig. It's like loads of time to catch up. Even 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 though they're talking a completely different language, and you have to catch the subtitles just in case you might miss what's been said. 
Yeah, no, I'm kind of used to watching subtitles now. I used to hate subtitles, and then I got married, and my wife likes to watch subtitles of everything, so I'm kind of used to them now, to be honest. Yeah, I, it, was, it was a good show, though. Really, really nice. It was a nice show. Should we say that? A nice show. Well, if you've not watched the finale, then... Uh... Yeah, I definitely have not watched the finale, but I think this is one that I, one of those shows I could go back and watch. Maybe you should, but uh, this is what I was talking about, how we need to do more anime. Yeah. I thought this was brilliant. I thought I thought this was outstanding. I thought the story was great. I think, obviously, in Japan, I think they did a great job with it. Obviously, in Europe, it was just they just probably thought, "Oh, Dog of Flanders, this boy and dog." I mean, to be fair, in the first couple of episodes, not a great deal happens. I thought, I thought, I thought the pilot was really good. I thought it set the scene well, and obviously, they didn't just jump to the bit where the boy gets to the dog. They build up to it, and I think they do that really, really well. I think they kind of lay the foundations and they make you think, okay, it might happen in the next episode. It might happen in the next episode. I think, I think this is what they had back back in the day with the storytelling. Because obviously now, we're, we're we're impatient. We just want to get to the get to the bit now. Okay, cut to the chase. Oh, is it a boy and a dog? Okay, when am I going to see the episode when he gets to the dog? It's like, wait, fool, wait. Be patient. Let it let it build up. And I was I thoroughly enjoyed how they they told the story. I thought the picture looked really good for 1975. Mm, yeah, it surprised me when you said 1975. I actually looked up for my notes. Particular version of of Dog of Flanders came out in in 1975. But no, they they did a really really good job with the story. They kind of made people in Europe appreciate it more because, like I said, this when did this book drop? Like early 19th century late late um no early 20th century sorry early 20th century maybe late 19th people just they i don't know maybe they just thought, okay it's another book there's like a ton of authors and writers yeah just just put it just put it by the wayside put it put it alongside some of the other stories like charles dickens and and, and whatnot but i think once japan and the japanese got a hold of the story and they kind of told it and they adapted it in their own way I thought it was great, and obviously I'll talk about it when we talk about the episodes. I think what they did really, really well was they told the story and they didn't dilute it for for kids. They they stuck to the story, whether whether or not it was palatable or nice and happy and cute for kids. I don't know, but they stuck to the story, and I thought they told it really, really well and. It was, it was, yeah, hands down. It might actually be the one of the most emotional things I've watched on Yesterday's Capers in terms of animation anyway. This is incredibly emotional. Even the Lion King or the, the pinky and the brain bit of it with the tigers. Well, no. That's, the Lion King is a film, this is a TV show. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll, put that to, we'll put that to the side. But no, this was, this was great. And yeah, let's talk about episodes. Right, so I I watched episodes one and two back to back because I was kind of hoping that they would get to the. I knew they were were going to get to the dog until like the middle. Yeah, but uh, don't expect to see Patrash be a regular cast member until like episode twenty six or something. That would be that would be my guess. That would have been that's my guess anyway. But I wouldn't expect him in the first couple of episodes anyway. I mean, with a show called Flanders Dog, I would have expected him fairly soon. I think the reason is. Because in real life, what I liked about this show was that it kind of 
you know how you talk about like suspending disbelief and talking about things of like imagination in real life the boy and the dog aren't going to get together right away that's just not going to happen in real life that dog obviously you'll talk about it he served a purpose to that man he treated him horribly he treated him like dirt but it was like that's my dog the boy isn't gonna rescue that dog in the first episode and that boy is broke so he ain't gonna just willy-nilly snatch another man's dog and have to provide for that dog so you have to be realistic and that's why i was talking about how this cartoon was incredibly realistic and i appreciate you for it because you're not going to just in 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 cartoon wishy-washy cartoon world then yeah the dog and the boy are gonna be united together they're gonna be all sing song and happy 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 and oh what, what i was gonna say was i love the theme tune absolutely love the theme tune love the closing credits theme tune as well and like i said yeah these like with anime cartoons they don't miss with the theme tunes it's a bit like um moomin's theme tune don't you think it's kind of like a bit not as in like the tune and the bounciness of it but the kind of like the mellowness of it and yeah, yeah okay, okay okay i can i can i can definitely see that and obviously the the the, the japanese had a hand at making uh, the moomins in the in the 90s so yeah I like that. yeah they, they don't miss with theme tunes I, I loved sailor moon's theme tune absolutely loved it and and actually michiko and hatching there was a, it was a it was a, a great little number for a theme and tune. come on the pokemon theme tune of course, of course, of course. Yes. Which is oh. like probably, I reckon Pokemon was probably our generation's introduction to anime, probably, right? Yeah, Pokemon and Sailor Moon. Yeah, so Pokemon was kind of massive. Anyway, Pokemon theme tune rips. So um, Flanders is the name of a village in Belgium, which is, um, as you said earlier, just located at, just outside um, Antwerp. It's like an idyllic place. Kind of goes back to the times of like farmers collecting milk and then they take the milk to the town. They sell the milk, stuff like this anyway. So, um, so Nello is the name of the boy. Uh, he's outside looking at sparrows. He's collecting the milk churns to take to town with his grandfather. Uh, then he gets attacked by um, Blackie the duck and he takes the duck back to his aunt who's getting the rest of the ducks in. They go to town, collect the milk from uh, from the... like Loads of people in the village have cows and they go and collect the milk. They take the milk to the town, they sell the milk. How do you say her name? Oh, Aloha. Aloha? Yeah, Aloha. That's how he was saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just couldn't remember because obviously it's spelled like Alice, but with I, I think it's Alice. It's spelled like Alice. It's spelled. I spelled it as A L O I S. Yeah, yeah, but I re I reckon that's Alice, Bel Belgian or French. Um, so she calls to Tonello, and then his granddad kind of carries on the walk, and he goes and things, and it's and she wants him. He tells her that he's going into Antwerp, and she says, "Oh, I've got some like a single coin. Can you bring me back some candy?" She says she will wait at the usual place wherever that is. He goes and catches up his granddad. Then he sits by a river, washes his feet. So this is where you kind of look at the clogs. Clogs is quite prevalent in this thing. When they arrive in Antwerp, the boy and his granddad separate and they'll meet, meet back when uh, he's done his work. Some nasty kids knock into him, into Nello. Then he goes and gets sweets for Aloha. Nello hears a man beating a dog. The dog is pulling a cart and it's tired because it got stuck. The dog is thirsty. The man goes into a wine bar and leaves the dog outside. Nello goes to see can you did you notice the subtitles and the language used yeah the b word yeah it's like piss me off and he's like whipping him you little beep 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 beep, beep. yeah so this yeah he's like proper beating this dog and you do feel sorry for the dog and 
one thing I quite liked is that you kind of got this feeling that you re you were willing Nello to do something, but you know he couldn't do anything. So it, you it, it built that kind of tension quite well. Yeah, and, and then so when Nello brings the waters for the dog, so he puts his sweets on the on the fountain, takes some water, and then he fills his clog up. And when he when he goes and gives the dog the water, the guy comes out and just like kicks the water away and said like leaves the dog alone. It's a useless old dog. And so he's already left his sweets on the fountain, right? And the nasty kids that you see earlier kind of take one out and then he kind of says, oh, like, they're, they're my sweets. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't expecting this. They give the sweets back and said, shouldn't leave them lying around because I didn't know that they were yours. But he did take one though. Yeah, but he but that's before he realized it was Nello's sweets, right? He thought he just lucked out and found some sweets. And then he did share it with the, little, the kid's little brother anyway. I'm not sure if these characters come back because I didn't see them again. But um, anyway, they go back to the, the, the village. Uh, he meets Alawa and they play and eat sweets. Then he goes back and washes his hands. He shows his sweets to the... He tries to give one to his granddad, which is really nice. And then he says, oh, your mother used to like strawberry sweets. Why don't you have it? Um, and that's when you kind of learn that he's an orphan. Um, his mother's died. Then he does a preview into the next episode, which I watched as well. So Nello's overslept. He runs out. Grandpa's getting ready to take the milk pails out. He catches up with him and he says, oh no, you've got you've got to go into the forest and pick strawberries to make jam. So he goes to Aloha's house and she and Nello will go to the forest together. So, the, you know, they're kind of foraging and frolicking and she takes picks up the whole plant instead of just the berries and he tells her off. Then they come across a bird which has fallen from its nest. Aloha wants to keep it as a pet, but Nella says no and kind of tells her that it'll die in a cage and you have to kind of put it back. So they put it back. Mummy comes back and feed it. There's uh, more kind of frolicking. Uh, weather comes in so that the rain sort of comes and, they, and their uncle is living nearby. So they, f they find his cabin, but they do get a little bit caught in the rain. And on the way there, Aloha dropped her basket of strawberries into the stream so he goes back and finds it but it's only kind of half full when he when he finds it Aloha's parents are worried about the kids it's been you know they're a bit kind of a bit late now Nello's drawn a picture and it's of the the nest of the the birds uh when the weather gets better they go back um and apparently Aloha's getting new shoes I'm not sure why that was relevant dad is mad that um Aloha's coming back late but when they get back everything is good and that is the end not much happens in terms of drama, but it's a really nice and well-paced show. Yeah. And even if you are thinking, oh my God, where's the dog? You're willing to wait for it by watching the shows whenever it's to come on, like, I don't know, once a week or whatever. You'd be like, oh, I want to watch next week's episode. Maybe you'll be in that episode. By the way, the two little boys were called George and Paul that were nicking the sweets. I did go to the halfway point and the episode was called Goodbye Aloha. And basically this episode is that Aloha is leaving to go to England because her parents want her to be a lady. And they believe that that is the best place to go and do that. And the dog is with them in this episode. And Aloha is setting sail the very next day. And George and Paul are coming to talk to Nello and they're basically saying that Aloha's is at the tailor's. And Aloha is basically showing her dress to Nello. And she's basically saying, I want to show you where England is. She's showing England on a map to Nello. And they're thinking to themselves, oh, England isn't that far. 
obviously, if planes, trains, automobiles were the thing, then sure, it's not that far, but I don't think they did exist. And so, yeah, they're saying, okay, look, that's England. We're not too far. And so the boys bump into someone called Andre, and he's basically wearing funny clothes. George and Paul are laughing their heads off. Obviously, Andre gets really upset about this. Andre's dad, a significant character, and I think his name is Hans, and he thinks it's Nello that was laughing. Obviously, Nello's like, I wasn't laughing. And so he was like, okay, we'll see. And Aloha is packing her things up, and her mum gets really upset. Aloha wants to take a drawing of herself, but her mum wants to keep it as like a, a keepsake. Because obviously, she said, I'm going to miss you a lot. And Aloha is reassuring her mum that England isn't too far. Nella draws a picture of England, and obviously, his grandpa's like, okay, look, we've got to get up early for work. Grandpa and Nello are up early delivering milk to Antwerp. And so they go extra early so that they can see Aloha as she leaves. Hans and Andre, they arrive at the port. But Hans has obviously forgotten something. He's forgotten like a suitcase. And so he's like, okay, okay, I need to run back and get it. He sees Nello. And obviously he's like to Nello, Nello, why don't you go back to the house and go and get the suitcase? It, the, the, don't worry, the ship ain't going to set sail until later on. So go and get it. Alois is worrying about Nello because obviously she's not, he's not, he's not, she's worried that he's not going to make it in time to see her off. And so Hans is basically blaming Nello, going, "Oh, that stupid kid, he was meant to go and get it, and he's he's going to go get it now." And so the dad is like, "You know what? Sod it. I'm going to send for it later." George and Paul realize what's going on, and so they go after Nello, and they basically say, "Look, Nello, you need to hurry up. The ship is going to leave soon. It's the last launch." And Aloha has to board now. She says bye to her parents. Andre gives Aloha's some flowers, which I thought was very nice. And then obviously she tells Nello that, she's like, look, tell Nello I said I wish him all the best. Aloha's dad is like telling his wife, stop crying, stop being hysterical. He's being like the typical man. I thought he was an arsehole, but uh, yeah, he was just like, stop crying, stop being dramatic woman. Aloha is just basically leaving all upset because she thinks that Nello couldn't make it on time. Ship sets sail. Nello gets there. So he's running after the ship. Aloha spots Nella, Nella, Nello. And look, she keeps saying, look, England isn't far away. And obviously he's like running after her and running after the ship. And they basically say goodbye. Aloha is gone. And winter is here. Now, the last episode, which is called The Picture of Angels. A little back, a backstory to this. So, obviously, Nello and Aloha are very, very much in love with one another. And obviously, her dad, his name was Bas Koges. And obviously, he's a, a well-off man in the village, as I mentioned. And he, do, he basically doesn't approve of her friendship with Nello. Because he doesn't want his daughter to be associated with someone who's poor. And he's and we learn that he's illiterate, but he's very, very good at drawing. He enters a junior drawing contest in Antwerp and he's hoping to win the first prize of two hundred francs per year. But the jury selects a different winner. And then a fire breaks out on the bass property and i think one of the windmill gets clipped by the fire too the landlord 
which I think is Hans, he lies and he says that Nello was responsible for the fire so that he could basically escape responsibility for neglecting the property. And then Bas tells Nello that he is never to see Alawa again. And then his granddad, Jehan, dies. And the landlord promptly evicts Nello and Patrash. And with no home, they are forced to wander the streets where the episode kind of fits in. So I've got my official notes and my scribbling down notes. And so basically it starts off with Patrash and he's out in the snow because he's looking for Nello. And he senses that Nello might be in trouble. But the problem is the dog is old and tired and it is heavy, heavy snow, heavy snow. The old, there's an old lady, she's basically on a horse and carriage. She thinks she spots Patrash, but obviously she's like, that can't be Patrash because it's, it's freezing cold. He needs to be at home bundling up because it's a cold, cold winter in Antwerp. So you need to bundle up. And so there's a grandpa Noel, which is a very apt name for the time. And obviously Mr. Kojes wants him to fix the windmill. And so Noel is basically like, I don't think it was the boy. I think it was you, Hans. And they all start to clock that Nello was falsely accused by Hans and that everyone is furious with Hans. And Mr. Koges feels really bad about this. Mrs. Noelette, I think it was her name. That was in the horse and carriage. And obviously she's trying to visit Nello. But then she hears the news that his granddad has passed. And there's a Mr. Michel who has to look after him. But obviously they can't find him at all. And so Alua, she's back home for Christmas. She finds Nello's letter. And we learn that he's run away because he can't pay the rent. And he's leaving behind all of these things as payment. And he's basically saying to everyone, look, I need to get out of here. Goodbye. The judge of the painting contest comes along. He says that Nello can be a great painter. And he was saying that he was supposed to win. But what I think happened was, was that Mr. Koges basically was like, yeah, you better not give this poor boy the, the money. And obviously he starts to feel bad. Alarm bells are starting to, to ring. So it's basically Nello is, is, is walking in the snow. He's not got his coat on. He's not got his shoes on. He's distraught and miserable. So he decides to go to the Cathedral of Antwerp to see Rubens, the elevation of the cross and the descent from the cross, which I'm sure is very significant things in Christianity that I have no idea about. But the exhibition is only for paying customers and he has no money left. And on the night of Christmas Eve, Nello and Patrash find that the door to the church was left unlocked. So basically they're thinking, oh, this is great. We get to go inside the church. Yeah, so Nello is basically collapsed on the floor just absolutely exhausted he collapses and so Patrash is basically sensing that Nello could be in there and so Patrash actually goes into the church and he sees that Nello is lying down there Alawa is praying for Nello's safe return and I think she may sense where he may actually be so she basically runs off into the the heavy snow and meanwhile back in the church Nello sees that Patrash has come to find him. Nello, obviously, is like, oh, Patrash, you came for me. You came for me. And so he, again, collapses on the floor happy. And he's like, I've got no regrets. And then what happens is that he's lying on the floor. Little angels descend onto the floor 
and they basically take Nello and Patrash up into the skies. So it obviously means that, yeah, Nello didn't quite make it. He had hypothermia. And yeah, he dies in the church along with his dog. And it's very, very sad. And again, I appreciated it because in cartoon cartoon, he probably would have survived hypothermia and lived a long and happy life. But again, that ain't how real life works. And obviously way, way back then, they used to tell stories all the time of about kids dying and kids passing. And this was, I guess, another one of those stories. And yeah, Nello, Nello dies along with his dog. And that's how Dog of Flanders came to an end. Bit of a brutal end, but... I wouldn't say it's brutal. I thought it was very... It was very, like, emotional and very serene and very... You're just kind of going with it. And obviously the subtitle says that, yes, Nello... Nello passes away and he reunited with his grandparents who also passed away. And, yeah, that's how that ended. And I thought it was just just absolutely outstanding. Agreed. I mean, I only watched a couple of episodes, but I might have to go back and watch a few more now. And now that it is in um, English, it will definitely um, behoove you to go back and, 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 and watch. Because, yeah, I thought this was... I thought it was absolutely superb. And we need to do more anime. It's as simple as that. Next up, The Legend of White Fang. So this came out in January 1994. And some of the things happening in the world... Record cold temperatures hit the eastern United States. The coldest temperature ever measured in Indiana State history. Minus 36 Fahrenheit or minus 38 degrees centigrade is recorded in New Whiteland, Indiana. The North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, is established. Hungarian chess player Petr Leko becomes the youngest chess grandmaster, achieving the title at the age of 14. The air up there is in the cinemas and give it away by red hot chili peppers was in the charts chili peppers had some hit and misses and this was definitely a miss for me really yeah what are you talking about hit and miss wasn't what wasn't my favorite chili pepper song to be honest red hot chili peppers are not hit and miss no mm, i mean they are i think they're overrated i'll be honest no what other misses do you think they have then come back to you on that under the bridge was another good song of theirs by the way, the Zephyr song. Scar tissue, maybe. Don't say that's under. Don't say that's overrated. Don't you, don't don't you dare. Don't you dare. Scar tissue is probably my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Really? Like one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even like Stadium Arcadium. The the the, the album they released like in two thousand. Like they 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 went away for a long time and then they just boom. Don't get me wrong. I do like the Chili Peppers. They're just not. Like, they're just one of those bands that. For me, I had to be in a very specific mood to listen to them. Couldn't disagree more. The Legend of White Fang. So this was a Canadian animated series and it's based on the 1906 novel White Fang by Jack London. The show centers the it centers around the main dog protagonist and the young human companion, 12-year-old Wendy Scott. And in the place of the novel's male trail guide, Weedon Scott. Because I think Weedon Scott was the main character in the books. And the main characters in the TV show was Wendy Scott. And 
Canada-based Cena produced the series for the pay TV network, family channel, global television network, and TF1 in France. And yeah, it's basically about 12-year-old Wendy, who's a brave and kind girl, and she befriends a wolf husky mix by the name of White Fang. They share many adventures in Yukon's rugged Klondike territory during the Klondike Gold Rush, where they encounter wolf packs, gold thieves, First Nations people, otters, poachers, and treacherous avalanches. And it was first published in 1906. And in the story, yeah, it details White Fang's journey to domestication in the Yukon Territory. And the Klondike Gold Rush took place in the 1890s. Much of White Fang is written from the viewpoint of the canine character, enabling London how to explore animals and how they view the world and how they view humans. White Fang examines the violent world of wild animals and equally violent world of humans. Critics have identified many underlying themes in the novel. Tom Feller describes the story as an allegory of humanity's progression from nature to civilization. He also expresses that the story's implication is that the metamorphosis of both the individual and society will require violence at some point. And Paul Dean states that in the novel, Society demands a conformity that undermines individualism. London himself took influence from Herbert Spencer's words, survival of the fittest, as well as Nietzsche's idea of a superman or superdog in this instance, and the worship of power. Upon its release, White Fang was an immediate success worldwide and became especially popular among younger readers. Robert Greenwood called White Fang one of London's most interesting and ambitious works. Virginia Crane claims that the novel is generally regarded as artistically inferior to its companion piece, but the companion piece being The Call of the Wild, but it helped establish London as a popular American literary figure. Shortly after the book's publication, London became a target in what would later be called the Nature's Fake Controversy, a literary debate highlighting the conflict between science and sentiment in popular nature writing. President Theodore Roosevelt, who first spoke out against the sham naturalists in 1907, specifically named London as one of the so-called nature fakers, citing an example from White Fang. Roosevelt referred to the fight between the bulldog and the wolf dog, the very sublimity of absurdity. London only responded to the criticism after the controversy had ended. And in 1908, his response was in his essay entitled the other animals he said and i quote i have been guilty of writing two books about dogs the writing of these two stories on my part was in truth a protest against the humanization of animals of which it seemed to me several animal writers had been profoundly guilty time and again and many times in my narratives i wrote speaking of my dog heroes he did not think these things he merely did them and I did this repeatedly to the clogging of my narrative and in violation of my artistic canons. And I did it in order to hammer into the average human understanding that these dog heroes of mine were not directed by abstract reasoning, but by instinct, sensation and emotion and by simple reasoning. Also, I endeavored to make my stories in line with the facts of evolution. I hewed, I hold them to the mark 
set by scientific research and awoke one day to find myself bundled neck and crop into the camp of the nature fakers. And yeah, so the legend of White Fang. And it spoke like Hannah and Barbera dogs. It didn't speak. I mean, I could, I could hear it. The only difference is it didn't the have... The lips weren't moving. It didn't like say things with R's all the time. Well, the lips weren't moving, so... It's just a hero dog like... Um, we've, we've done a few hero dogs, I think, now. Like, um... Maybe, maybe. But it's, it's nothing like Hannah and Barbera dogs. This was like a grown-up cartoon. Yeah, that is all right. Yeah, I, I think it was quite. It looked like it looked Hannah and Barbera in its animation style. I don't think so. Not at all. I think it did a little bit. I think there's a style with Hannah and Barbera versus. But I think it did have that kind of like feel to it, but only with the baddies. Not at all. Now, if you think, if you look at the baddies, right? No, I, I don't see it because no, it's it it it's, it it had a Hannah and Barbera baddie esque. Harry and Barbera was more drawing. It was more hand drawing and they would come up with the characters like that. Whereas this was more using animation techniques and things of that line. Like, I think it's completely, completely different. No, I think it had a feel to it. But not with the goodies, only with the baddies, really. In what way, though? Just the, the animation style of the baddies and how they were kind of like... This kind of like oh, you know, dancing around because they can't get what they want, or they're... but my, the other, most of the other part of the story, not so much, but just like when you meet the bad guys. I'm not sure if I wrote that in my notes or what. I don't think I did, but other than that, I think I mean I only watched one episode because it was the English one. I didn't watch any subtitle ones on this. I watched a couple of the La Leyenda del Colmillo de Blanco. Something along those lines. I think that's what it was called. But no, no, no. I think I think I think the, the Hannah and Barbera thing is uh I'm not convinced by that. I think it's a I think it's definitely a reach. But I remember watching this as a kid. Oh really? Yes. Yes I did. I had no idea about this show. I yeah, it used to come on channel four in the summer holidays when we were like very, very little and we used to watch we used to watch this all the time and used to come on. Back I can then. see it being a summer holiday show, actually. That feeling where... You used to come on like in the mornings. I reckon about 10, 10, 10 30, 11 o'clock. Oh, yeah, it used to come on just before Sesame Street, which uh, somehow you didn't watch, did you? No, I mean, I didn't like Sesame Street or that. It not matter if you don't like Sesame Street, but you'd never thought yourself, right, Sesame Street, one of the greatest institutions to ever been created and you'd... Never, but yeah, anyway, enough of that. But it was like, um, yeah, it used to come on Channel 4 in the mornings and it used to be part of the, the programming that used to come on. What else? A lot of stuff used to come on. So, like, I remember that. I think they used to show a bit of Pink Panther at that time. I think City Guys used to come on around about that time as well. Saved by the Bell was another Channel 4 thing. But yeah, this used to come on. And it was one of those adult cartoons that obviously I can appreciate and watch because obviously it's not like a, a baby cartoon where everyone's all going yeah 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 we're all kids and we all live happily ever this was a it was a very grown-up very serious cartoon and yeah it's basically retelling the story of a long long time ago and yes yeah, it's, it's very interesting that they tell the story of the the klondike gold rush and again it's basically how another country screwed the natives out of their land and probably their gold as well because once yeah they struck gold then everybody wanted to move to this village which i think is um 
Dawson something. It's Dawson something. It's, 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 where, it's where they live. I'm sure I wrote that down. Yeah, anyway. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about episodes. You can talk about... No, because I watched the pilot in Spanish, which was called The Gold Nugget. I didn't. I didn't write down what what it was in uh, in uh, Spanish, but uh, yeah, I will do my best because obviously it was uh, in Spanish, so I have to try and uh, decipher what I can and with the English subtitles. So, okay, it starts off with White Fang. He's scrapping with the Lynx because the Lynx is the Lynx is basically going after his like his territory, but White Fang manages to get him away. And man is happy that he's found a bit of gold. Oh, so yes, yeah. So basically, there's a man who's found a bit of gold, and he ends up getting in trouble. So he's on a on a on a on a sled, and so the sled is basically falling off on a mountain. White Fang and some old guy saves the day, and obviously we find out that it was difficult to pull him up because he was full of he had like this big chunk of gold that he found. And he offers a little bit of it to the old man, but the old man is like, yeah, I don't want it. But then he ends up leaving a tiny nugget on his sledge. And so he goes to the hotel that's run by someone called Bella. And he wants his money to be kept in a safe. There's a man who overhears it. And then he goes all the way to the villain of the piece, Mr. DeLazlo. And he's telling him, oh, there's a man who's come in and he's found gold. And so he tries to come back the very same night and he tries to steal the gold himself. But obviously he's big and he's clumsy and he's making too much noise. White Fang goes to the tavern to try and stop him. A fire breaks out and the man gets away. Bella manages to get away as well. Very clever that she wets her towel and covers herself. That's, I think, uh, one way to try and escape a... a blazing inferno. And you know, obviously everybody thinks that it was White Fang who caused the fire. But Wendy isn't buying it. And White Fang starts to feel bad about not saving the tavern and not doing enough to prevent the fire. And Bella realizes that the safe was opened by somebody. And then Mr. DeLazlo comes to see Bella and he has a proposition for her. White Fang goes off to see the, the native guy. And Wendy is going there as well. And and basically the native guy is telling Wendy that White Fang isn't a, a wild animal anymore. And White Fang and the Lynx are fighting again. But then the Lynx gets trapped in like a hole or a ditch. And White Fang decides to save the Lynx and then they become friends. And the, Mr. DeLazlo is basically telling Bella that she doesn't have insurance. Basically, he's saying, look, I will loan you the money. You can rebuild your hotel and, and whatnot. And it's all yours. But he's like, I want you to build something else in there instead of the hotel. And so Mr. DeLazlo agrees to lend Bella the money. But obviously, Wheaton is like, don't do it. It's a trap. And and basically the big brute man, I didn't even write his name because I couldn't even think of what his name could be. And he's trying to look for the gold in the rubble. But White Fang stops him and he gets away. Bella, before signing it, the uh, the guy, he comes in with the gold nugget and he drops it. And obviously Bella doesn't sign it because she realizes it's a trap. And so they have to build the hotel from scratch. 
and then you can come in with episode two. So this is, I don't know what this episode was called. This episode was called The Only English One. Banished. Banished. It's called oh. Banished. I think it was written in big titles as well in the uh, intro. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure that's true. It was there. It, it, all the ti- all the episode titles was there, like right in the front. Oh, yeah, because old white fan gets told off. Right, so there's a bloke moaning and he's digging in the, in the snow and it's, uh, it's Tom, this bloke. You've let, later find out Tom and he strikes gold and he's like, oh, this mine does have gold. I'm really happy. And then this other man um, who you later find out is called Sansom is... Or Samson, Sam, Samson, Samson, yeah, is Samson is watching him, uh, and he basically like kind of does him in and takes the gold. The girl, the girl wants to go to the forest to bring Tom food. Uh, White Fang comes along, and then they get chased by the man because they kind of like see him like attacking Tom. Uh, they head back to the village. She trips over and, and knocks herself out, and White Fang drags her to the to the. All right, fair enough. <laughs> she I was just showing producer Paul the banished <laughs> massive letters in across the whole screen gold writing yeah so she she gets dragged to the village by white fang and she's kind of like hallucinating she kind of says like um white fang is the baddie kind of thing well she said she says oh he's chasing me he's chasing me and everyone thinks it's it's going to be white fang attacking her uh, meanwhile, Mr. Delazlo is with Baddy Samson and he shows him where the mine is and they forge the sale documents to say that it's their thing. This is not Tom's mine now. It's, it belongs to Delazlo. They forged the document. Um, so White Fang is sad because he's been banished. Wendy's in bed and she's lost her memory uh, and Bella's taken her and she's going to take her to the hotel instead of being at her house. So the Baddy hunter is now going to hunt White Fang because the whole village is against White Fang. Uh, White Fang goes and sees this Native American thing and then they have a moment there. Tom tells Wendy's dad about the robbery and he's kind of thinking, okay, there's more to this than than meets the eye. Then they go to see the mine and then they see um, Sansom uh, mining the gold. Uh, There's a wanted poster of White Fang in the the sheriff's office. Basically, uh, dad kind of twigs that Delazlo's kind of in on it and their claim number, or I'm guessing that they could claim for the gold spots, their claim is 112. And it says it's Delazlo's claim now. But one of the things that irritated me about this episode is like, oh yeah, it's claim one one two, and they're pointing to like one four two on the on the register book, and it's like that's pretty lazy animation. And you could have literally just said one four two. What I was gonna say was, um, yeah, it's one of those like cut things that used to annoy me as hell with cartoons. I was thinking, is the animation really hard in terms of handwriting? Or you could, if it was like multiple languages, you could literally just say one four two in the voiceover, right? That's not hard. But anyway, so Dad goes to see Sergeant Oaks and Tom goes to see Delazlo and gets thrown out and says he will prove him wrong. And meanwhile, the village is lynching and hunting White Fang. The Native American says, um, you better go save Wendy, otherwise uh, she's going to be in for it. So Samson's going to finish off Wendy. And, and wait, White Fang goes to Wendy's house, but she's not there. And then he finally finds her and he kind of bashes up Samson. Samson goes to see Delazlo, who says, leave for a little while till this all blows over. White Fang chases him out. Wendy tells a story to Tom, and they try and go and sort it out. White Fang catches up with Baddy, and he kind of ends up going away. They arrest to Laszlo, and they question him, but there's no evidence to uh, to actually convict him of anything. Wendy shops, his, shops him in. The sale of the mine was nullified because it was a for sale, and then everyone else in the whole village who's also got to Laszlo as their thing gets their sale nullified, so they all get their mine back. So that's the end of that episode. Um, I 
decided to uh, persevere with another Spanish episode of uh, La Leyenda del Colmillo Blanco. Against my better judgment, because obviously my notes were terrible and my Spanish is nowhere near as good as I'd want it to be. I don't know, maybe if I was watching Narcos, then I would have been a little more confident in my my Spanish. But um, yes, I watched the episode called The Trap or La Trampa. Again, there's a wolf that's challenging White Fang to be the leader of the pack. But White Fang, he handled his business and took care of that. And the native man can see a trap and a gun for White Fang in his future. And he sends a warning to White Fang about the trap that the white man might set for him in the guise of a bird. And there's a thing about dogfighting. And Wendy is totally against the dogfighting and wants to try and do something about it. White Fang's rival ends up getting trapped by the brute man. And the brute man announces a big fight between Jack, his dog. I knew the name of his dog, but I didn't know the name of the owner. And Jack and the dog, Jack, his dog, and the wolf are going to have a fight. And DeLazlo is taking bets for the dog fights, but Wheaton is suspicious. Wendy and an old man, they see a wolf that's trapped inside. So they try and head off, but the brute causes an avalanche and gets away. And Wendy and the old guy are revised by White Fang because he basically sits on them and tries to keep them warm. They're getting ready for the big dog fight, but White Fang saves the, saves the other dog. White Fang is fending off two men, but they outnumber him and they send him to fight instead. White Fang has to fight the other dog, but Wheaton and others get there on time and stop it from happening. White Fang gets trapped and he's about to be shot. But uh, the wolves scare the brute away and Wheaton pulls White Fang off the trap. And obviously he realizes the other dog that it's not easy to lead a pack. And so he kind of accepts that he is the, um, that White Fang is the leader. And quick notes on the story of White Fang and how it might differ from the, um, the TV show. So yeah, story begins before the wolf dog hybrid is born with two men and their sled dog team on a journey to deliver the coffin of Lord Alfred to the remote town named Fort McGurry in the higher area of the Yukon Territory. The men, Bill and Henry, are stalked by a large pack of starving wolves over the course of several days. Finally, after all of their dogs and Bill have been eaten... Oh, wow. That's a bit messed up. Uh, More teams find Henry escaping from the wolves, the wolf pack scatters when they hear the large group of people coming. White Fang is separated from his mother, who is sold off to another Indian camp by three eagles. He realizes how hard life in the wild is when he runs away from camp and earns the respect of Grey Beaver when he saves his son Mitsa from a group of boys seeking revenge. Wheat and Scott tries to tame White Fang, and after a long, patient effort, he succeeds. And when Scott attempts to return to California alone, White Fang pursues him and Scott decides to take the dog with him back home. In Sierra Vista, White Fang must adjust to the laws of the estate. And at the end of the book, an escaped convict, Jim Hall, tries to kill Scott's father, Judge Scott, for sentencing him to prison for a crime he did not commit. Not knowing that Hall was railroaded, White Fang kills Hall and is nearly killed himself but survives. 
And as a result, the woman of Scott's estate named him the Blessed Wolf. And the story ends with White Fang relaxing in the sun with the puppies he has fathered with the sheepdog Collie. That's all well that ends well, except for the fact that the wolves ate everybody. That's what wolves do, though, isn't it? They eat stuff and people and everything. I didn't know they eat humans, though. I think they mostly steer clear, right? But they would do give enough a chance if they're hungry enough. Yeah, if they're hungry enough. But no, I actually thought The Legend of White Fang was good. I think it held up reasonably well to my standards from when I was watching it as a kid. So, yeah, I've, I've, got, I've got no complaints about the show. No, it was all right. Wasn't much to it for me. Yep. Finally, last but not least, Watch My Chops. And this was a show that came out in February 2003. And some of the things happening in the world. The Federal Republic of Yugoslavia is renamed to Serbia and Montenegro after its leaders reconstitute the country into a loose state nation between Montenegro and Serbia, marking an end to the 73-year long use of the name Yugoslavia by any sovereign state. And now I believe Serbia and Montenegro are two separate states. An Italian gang steals loose diamonds, gold and jewellery valued at more than 100 million from a Belgian vault, one of the largest robberies in history. Millions of people worldwide take part in a massive anti-war protest in anticipation of the United States and its allies invading Iraq to depose its Ba'athist regime and Saddam Hussein. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days was in the cinemas. And Move Your Feet by Junior Senior was in the charts. I used to love this song. I did too. This was a catchy catchy number i actually thought you might not know it no i this is this was all over those because uh, this is back in the hits days the box the free view music channel days right and this is yeah they used to play this song all the time because it had that little kind of retro-y look to it right yeah yeah watch my chops now so this is a french animated series about uh, an intelligent talking dog corneal and his dog sitter bernie barges the series was produced, written, and animated in France, and the English dubbing took place in London. The series was produced by Milmages and aired in the United States and in the UK. The original French title is Corneille et Bernie, and in the UK the show is called Watch My Chops, named after Corneille's catchphrase. And in the United States and Australia, the show was titled Corneille and Bernie, it's about Cornel, he's an intelligent dog. Not only can he read and write perfect English, but he's much smarter than most people. And since he is so smart, he knows that life does not get any better than being a pampered pet. And so he does anything he can to keep his owners, John and Beth, from realizing his phenomenal skills. The plan begins to go awry when they hire the pinheaded Bernie Barges to dox it, and Bernie learns about Cornel's secret. Though the two frequently bicker, they form an uneasy friendship and Cornel finds himself using his brainy powers to bail Bernie out of various scraps. Most episodes are driven by Cornel's reluctance to let anyone know that he's intelligent and capable of human speech. And all of this puts Cornel in an uncomfortable position and Bernie takes it upon himself to be the voice of Cornel, capitalising on Cornel's reluctance to communicate. And in, two, and in the 2014 retool of the series, Cornel and Bernie start to get into more bizarre adventures, such as hunting for a legendary monster, battling a computer virus, or trying to face the apocalypse. 
Most of the supporting characters are reduced to background roles and a few minor roles get more focus. This adaptation also features more humans who find out more about Cornel's secret and he begins to worry less about being exposed. And obviously the characters, so there's obviously Cornel, who's an intelligent, cultivated dog who speaks with a Northern English accent. Bernie Barges is the dog sitter and he's imaginative and full of initiatives, but not particularly bright. John and Beth are Cornel's snobby rich owners. John is an auctioneer and Beth is chief editor of a newspaper. They're a couple modern, dynamic and a little eccentric. They love Cornel as if he were their own son and care deeply for him. They also place a good amount of trust in Bernie being their preferred dog sitter. Uncle Rico, a high school dropout and former boxer who was forced to retire following a knockout that claimed eight of his teeth. Now he's a caretaker and deals regularly with his nephew, Bernie. So, watch my chops. Yeah, I used to love this. I watched it. One of those when I was too old to be watching cartoons, but still watching this one. I think this was Cartoon Network, right? I loved it then, loved it now. I think it was, it's funny. It's actually a genuinely funny cartoon and I, I enjoyed watching it again. 10 minute episodes. Timing was perfect. Absolutely perfect. It wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. Yeah, it's not the deepest cartoon in the world, like compared, to, especially compared with the other two shows that we watched. I think it was just a loose cartoon, a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought I'd add this to bring the little sort of comic relief in the midst of like these two intense cartoons about a boy and a and dog dying and getting taken up. To one about and... you know being nature faker and talking about animals and evolution and Nietzsche and you gotta have a talking dog in there somewhere as well well there's only one talking dog so <laughs> yeah great great show I enjoyed watching it yeah I mean I think it's very basic it is basic it is it's basic. very very basic it's very very simple yeah I, yeah I, I I didn't I didn't think it was boring I didn't hate it like I said it was very well paced it was only what 10 minutes an episode 10 minutes an episode there's not much to not like about the show right there's not much to dislike about it it's simple animation's good it's wacky it's funny it's 10 minutes had it all for me that's what I'm saying right then let's talk about episodes then right so um Bernie is the friend of John and Beth who are his own little like the dog sitter like you said Bernie gets a call from someone saying they miss Cornel. Uh, it's John and Beth. They want to take them take them on holiday. Uh, Cornel is like rashly scared of flying. Flight attendant gives him drugs and uh, gives uh, Bernie some drugs and says, you know, so kind of give him this, will be fine. Cornel, Cornel says he will tell on him if he doesn't get on the plane. Cornel goes and hides in the bathroom and gets kind of caught talking on the phone. The flight gets delayed because of Cornel phoned a uh, virus thing um, and said that this was on the plane. But um, Bernie finds another plane. When the students see that he's scared, they said, oh, don't worry, the, pain, the pilots would explain everything and you'll feel a bit much better. Bernie's scared instead of Cornel. Pilots accidentally uh, take the sleeping drugs because they get knocked into their drinks. Bernie has to fly the plane because he told the stewardess that he's a pilot. Cornel's actually flying the, the, the plane. They crash land in a field a field and everyone's safe and everyone thinks Bernie's a hero but obviously it's actually um Cornel because uh, he did so well he's now allowed to fly the plane home as well that's the end of first episode next episode I watched was called Dog's Dinner um Cornel's owners are going away again Cornel's not happy with the state of the house he has to stay in a box he doesn't want to eat canned dog food uh, he wants to go shopping to get the food in 
but he's very fussy about what he eats. He has very specific, like really upmarket food. And Bernie loses it with him and says, like, that's it. You, you're spoiled dog. You're going to have dog food or you're not having anything at all. Um, and so Cornel's not eating. Bernie's winding him up and trying to make him eat the dog food. Cornel tries to get Uncle Rico to feed him, but Bernie's uh, aware of that and stops it happening. Cornel's holding on. He goes outside, he sees a sausage, but gets attacked by the birds when he tries to take it. So he goes home and he switches a corned beef tin for the dog food. And then now Bernie says, oh, don't worry, I've given in now. You can just have the corned beef instead. So what he's actually going to have is the uh, the dog food. Um, then Bernie accidentally eats it. So Bernie eats it to say, look, look, it's just corned beef. It's fine. And then um, then it's disgusting. So Bernie feels bad about trying to feed him dog food because it's horrible. And then he takes him shopping to get some real food. Okay, so I watched an episode called Love Me love my dog so bernie's trying to show corneal how to catch a frisbee but obviously corneal's like don't insult my intelligence and then there's someone called aunt bertha who comes and she takes a liking to corneal and corneal and corneal likes her too and so aunt bertha is mourning the loss of a dog bobby and bernie bernie and corneal have to basically keep an eye on aunt bertha but bernie isn't too happy about that he thinks that she's pretty lame and Cornel is playing fetch with Bertha, even though he never plays with Bernie. The owners want Aunt Bertha to help out with Cornel more. And Bernie's like teasing Cornel and provoking him. So like Cornel bites him. And Bernie walks away from Cornel because he's like, why did you bite me? And obviously he's like, I'm really, really sorry. And Bernie doesn't want to come around anymore. And Aunt Bertha, all she wants to do is call him Bobby. Because obviously that's like the dog that they knew. And obviously Cornel doesn't like that. Because he's like, I'm Bernie. Watch my chops. I'm Bernie. In that northern accent of his. And so Cornel is going to Bernie crying for help. And he wants to get rid of Aunt Bertha. So Bernie tells Aunt Bertha that Cornel gets allergic reactions all the time. Cornel is acting up. And Aunt Bertha gives Cornel back. And obviously he's like, I love how Bernie's like on the floor. And he's like trying to slap Cornel around. Going, I have to like slap him out of it. And obviously, Bernie and Cornel was like, you're meant to like be fake hitting, not like hit me for real. And Aunt Bertha leaves and says that Bernie is a great dog sitter. And the last episode I watched was called Bone of Contention. So Bernie is obviously a student of some sort. And his class, they're going on an archaeological dig. And Cornel sneaks in the bag because obviously he wants to come along and take part in the dig. Bernie's basically getting stick from the lads. But the teacher's like, if you find something, you guys have become rich and famous. Cornel finds a dinosaur bone and Bernie gives it to the teacher. And so there's like this famous doctor and he's arriving from Bolivia the next day. And basically it was a metacarpus bone discovered by Cornel. And now they want to find the full dinosaur skeleton. Cornel wants to call it after himself and call it the Corneliosaur. But Bernie ends up taking the credit. Everyone sees Cornel. And obviously Bernie's like, his dog is here. His dog's crazy. And so they tie up Cornel. And so obviously Cornel's like to Bernie, watch my chops, Bernie. Do not take credit for this dinosaur. It's my thing. And so the single bone ends up going missing. And Bernie's like, oh, I'll lead you to the whole dinosaur that I found. And I'm going to call it the Bernie saw. But there's like cans in its place. And everyone spots Cornell with the bone, so they're like chasing him all over. 
There's like the doctor, he's got the wheelchair and he runs over Bernie with the wheelchair. Cornel leads him to the dinosaur skeleton and the doctor then calls it the Corneliosaur. And so the doctor and, and Bernie like each other and they're like bonding in the wheelchair. And the episode ends with the skeleton's head falling on Bernie. So now we have to rank these shows from three down to one. Right, uh, three is definitely uh, White Fang. It was my least favorite of the two. Second, and a close second, I have to say, was Flanders Dog. And for me, for nostalgia and because it was very funny and good, is Watch My Chops at number one. You picked the most basic one as number one. Yeah, I just think it was like the is exactly what I'm looking for in a cartoon sometimes. You know, sometimes you don't want to spend 25 minutes watching subtitles. Sometimes you want to spend 10 minutes watching a northerner and an American guy just go at it. So Why? So my uh, one could not be any different. So number three for me was Watch My Chops. Number two was The Legend of White Fang. And yeah, number one was Dog of Flanders. I thought this was outstanding and this, this should be number one. And this was absolutely brilliant and it was absolutely great. And um, on that bombshell, I'll uh, bring it to an end. I actually did try to contact a, a couple of people to uh, potentially interview for the bill. But uh, Bill Bill Murray or Billy Murray, who plays uh, Don Beach and Johnny Allen, he did get back to me. But uh, yeah, sadly, he uh, he he refused. Yeah, he refused. He said that he's podcast isn't his thing. So. Uh, that's that's fair enough. Yeah, um, I yeah, I, I can't be mad at that because he he got back to me, so uh, that's better than nothing. So, yeah, um, I'm sure I'm sure some of you would have liked the uh, the Bill theme tune as the end credits for last week's episode. The saxophone guy was playing his heart out. He was playing that saxophone like rent was due. It was the first of the month. Rent was due, so he played that sax like. Yeah, I think it's actually a song. Play that sax. Play that sax. Yeah, I can't. I don't know who sings it, but I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, I had to give. I had to give it credit, man. But yeah, that was a, a great, great episode. And uh, hopefully, oh, 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 another incredible factoid that I have about the bill was that you know Eddie and Rosie. Yes. They are married in real life. No way. They are married in real life. How come we found that after? Uh, no, because I was um, looking up Michael Higgs, who plays Eddie Santini, to uh, potentially interview. And obviously, when you look at the bottom where it says spouses, it said Caroline Katz. And Caroline Katz is Rosie Fox. That blew my mind, Joe. Well spotted as well, to be fair. Man. They are married in real life. Damn. But yeah, Yesterday's Capers is available wherever you get your uh, podcast from. And you can listen to us talking about the brilliance that is The Bill. So yeah, any podcast platform that you can think of, we're on there. So go look us up there. Episodes drop every Fridays or Saturdays. So one of those days, it should be on there. Also, we're available on the socials. So Instagram is Yesterday's Capers 1. On Twitter, it's Yesterday Capers. YouTube.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. Facebook.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. You can find me on the socials, Abdullah Molim, on Instagram, underscore, Abdullah underscore Molim. You can find me on Twitter at Abdullah Molim, all one word. 
give me a like give me a follow and let me know what you think and yeah join us next time for another episode of yesterday's capers Mama,